Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message to the church. Uh, we're going to continue on, on last service. week. And of course, last week we were talking about um, standing up and uh, about proclaiming the gospel, making the most of the opportunities we have in these days. And we looked, of course, at uh, some of the principles from the story about Philip, the evangelist, and uh, his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, you'll recall. And some of the principles there about Philip making the most of his opportunities. And you know, church, we are living in amazing days. We're believing, and I think most of you probably do sense it as well, that we're living in the days not far from the return of Jesus Christ. And God said in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit. And we're believing for a great end time harvest of souls. So God is positioning himself. The Holy Spirit's at work. But is the church ready? Is the church ready? And that's each and every one of us. And we're the church. And so last week I was, um, the message was called, prepared to give an answer. Because people will be drawn by the Holy Spirit. They'll be stirred by the Holy Spirit. But they still need understanding. They still need understanding. And that's where we come into it. And we need to be ready to make the most of the opportunities that I believe are right in front of us and are even happening. I haven't had it myself, even in my own walk. Um, I'm noticing a, an openness and more opportunity to speak about the things of God, to share my testimony and, and the things of faith than I've had before. And I believe this is the season and an exciting time. This is what it's all about. This is what we've been praying for, I believe, for years. And I think we're about to see the culmination of it. And even if I'm wrong, it's still a good thing to be prepared. Amen? But so God, so let's um, let's go back to our um, uh, uh, scripture from last week, our foundation scripture again, which was from one Peter three fifteen, which says, "Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect." Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again for our time today. Lord, we want to commit the service and this word into your hands. We pray that you'd take these words, the gospel message, Lord, this morning. Lord, and uh, use it to touch people's lives, to reveal Jesus to them, Lord, and to uh, stir us up in our faith uh, with boldness and courage to be all that you've called us to be, to do all that you've called us to do. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, there's no outline today. Um, for those that are interested, I can give you a copy of all the scripture verses that uh, I'll be quoting today. I haven't handed them out because there's so many. <laughs> We're going today. I'm uh, not so many testimonies, um, and I'm going to be really providing a, uh, a solid foundation of, of teaching, uh, giving you a summary of what the gospel is. I think it's very important. Most of you will say, oh, yes, we understand you know, why we're saved and all that sort of thing. But um, you know, are you really understand some of the theology behind it? This is not a comprehensive teaching. I could be here until Jesus comes back explaining the, the message of the gospel if we want to get down into, into full theology but I do want to give you a comprehensive overview um, and I'm doing two things one I'm helping you hopefully and giving you confidence and, and secondly people that are hearing that don't yet know Jesus will hear this message and they will know why they need to be saved and how they can be saved amen so that's always a good thing so we talked um, last week as I say about the hope that we all have and of course the the hope is our hope is that is in Jesus the assurance of our salvation and really, Jesus is the hope of the world. I mean, with the outside of Jesus, there is no hope for people. They might not recognize it, but there's not. And this is the most important message that the church has. 
It's the most needed message, particularly in these days of deception where there's this rapid moving away from our traditional Christian Judeo values. More than ever, there's mass deception. There's great darkness. But you know what? The gospel is like a torch. It shines the light on truth, reveals truth, and it's a torch that can lead people out of that darkness and show them the right path, the way to God. See, the devil has blinded the minds, the Bible says, doesn't he? He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. And it's our job to help them see, to have their eyes opened. And sharing the gospel is the most powerful thing we could do. So we need to take the knowledge that we have and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and engage, we talked about that last week, engage with the world, not be passive, but engage to share our faith, share the hope that we have. And remember, the Holy Spirit has empowered us. We looked at that last week and he has made us competent. Everyone say empowered. Everyone say competent. We can all do this. We can all do this. So today I uh, want to focus on uh, what our hope is so that we can clearly explain it to others. To give an answer to anyone at any time. You see, the gospel means good news and we should want to share it. Who doesn't want to share good news? Who doesn't want to hear good news? But not only should we want to do it, we should know how to do it, what to say. And however, you know, and I, I experienced this myself. I've noticed that many people are in fact reluctant. And I think one of the biggest reasons that is, is because they're not confident enough in what to say. We know we should. We want to. But lack of confidence, maybe even intimidation, can hinder us. Because really, we're not quite sure what to say. I experienced, and I, I'm, I, this is my own testimony, maybe it's not for you, but for me, I, I remember when I first got saved, um, I'd come out of the worldly environment. And one of the things we used to do with my friends and my mates that I lived, we, we were hanging out with in those days, um, was every Saturday afternoon we'd go to the pub, watch a bit of sport, have a couple of beers with the boys. Well, when I first got saved, I wasn't sure, do I have to stop doing that? And, and do, I, or do I not do it? Do I do it? I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I went down one Saturday. I don't, a recent Christian. And I went there. And uh, we were sitting at our table, and there was a, another bloke that I had known, an acquaintance, not really a friend, but an acquaintance. I knew him reasonably well through business, and he was at another table. And um, I'd been saved a few weeks, and he came over to me, and he said, Peter, Peter, come here. He says, mate, he says, I've heard you've become a Christian. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what am I going to say? And, he, and, 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 but, and then he said to me, he said, look, he said, come, do you mind if we have a quick chat? And I said, yeah, sure. And then he said to me, Peter, he said, um, I've actually always been interested in the things of God. Can you explain to me you know, why you became a Christian and what it all means? And I thought, oh, okay. Uh, 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 uh. And I bumbled on and I stumbled on. I didn't know what to say. I was embarrassed. I was in the pub. What are people going to think of me? I've become this crazy Christian. And uh, it, was, it was awful. I was intimidated. I lacked courage. I lacked boldness. And I didn't even know what to say. Although in my heart, I knew what it was. But I couldn't articulate it to this guy and I it was just awful and I made a complete hash of it I'll tell you that right now and I went away from there and I felt so bad and I just said to God God I'm sorry I'm sorry now God doesn't condemn us so don't don't feel condemned if you've ever had an experience like that I'm sure you haven't but and I thought right I'm never going to let that happen again I am never ever going to let that happen again and so I made it a determination right then to learn properly about the gospel and you see, the thing is, when you understand something fully, 
and you know it, it gives you confidence. Knowledge brings confidence. This is a principle. And now, without wanting to brag, I know that I can give an answer at any time to any person in any situation. I will not be intimidated. I know what I know. I know what I believe, and I know why I believe it. So knowledge, I mean, you, you think about it. When you hear somebody on the TV or go to, go, to a, go to a meeting or something and is an expert on a subject, a scientist, or somebody who's an expert on a particular topic gets up and speaks, and you think, wow, and they speak with authority. Why do they speak with authority? Because they have knowledge. They understand what they're talking about. And what do you do is you tend to put your trust in them. Now there are some charlatans around, sure. But for most of the time, you understand the principle I'm talking about. Confidence brings, uh, knowledge brings confidence and allows us to speak with authority. And as I say, this is really important, not just regarding the gospel, actually, regarding all matters of Christian living, when you think about it. And that's a complete message for, for another time. So, what is the gospel? This is what I want to talk about today. And as I say, many of you will have an understanding of this. But there's massive theology behind the gospel. And we're not going to go into it all today. I want to bring a, a summary, as I say. But it's important that we have an understanding and hopefully bring you more confidence so you can share more effectively. Amen? Okay. So the gospel means good news. And yes, it is good news. But why is it good news? And what actually is the good news? While the gospel is a simple yet specific message, it actually is built um, around a lot of detail. And the whole Bible is actually built around the gospel. The Bible um, has really, if you look at the whole Bible, it has four main things running through it. And the gospel encompasses these same things. It talks about creation, Right? explains God's purpose, what his intentions were, why he created us, what he desires. Then, of course, it explains the fall of man, the problem, where things went wrong, how sin came into the world, and why we need a saviour. And then, of course, we see the theme of redemption running throughout the Bible. It explains God's solution. And this is actually the essence of the gospel message that we're going to be looking at today. And then lastly, the fourth theme is restoration. It explains our response, what God desires, our new life in Christ, the new creation realities, which, of course, mainly are explained um, in the New Testament. So a full gospel presentation actually includes all these points. In fact, that's why we often say the gospel is like a summary of the whole Bible. That is not an untrue statement. It's not minimizing the Bible. It's got a lot of content. But a lot of people find it hard to understand. There's a lot of things in there. So we say, like, well, the, the gospel, this message that I'm going to tell you, it's like a summary of the whole Bible, and it is. It's the only book that tells us where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. It's an amazing story, amazing truth. The emphasis, though, of the gospel, as comprehensive as it is, actually really just centers around the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. I've got a lot of scripture for you today. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I have preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In a nutshell... That's the gospel. In a nutshell, the good news is that God saves sinners. Man, by our nature, is sinful. And we're separated from God with no hope of redeeming the situation. And we're headed for destruction. 
But God, because of his love for us, his amazing love for us, and by his power, has provided a means for man's salvation, man's redemption, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the essence of the gospel. But we just can't leave it at that. You say to somebody, you know, what's Christianity about? Oh, it's about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They'll go, they won't understand what you're talking about. We need to provide context. And this is, remember, last week with the Philip with the Ethiopian. Philip asked the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And so he went on to explain it. Now, in the Bible... In the New Testament, there are, uh, the authors there and the writers use various terms for the gospel. I just want to quickly explain this to you so that you don't think we're talking about two different things or anything like that. Some people, sometimes it's referred to as the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of righteousness, the gospel of restoration, the gospel, um, and Jesus actually referred it to as the gospel of the kingdom of God. We read in Mark uh, 14, 1, 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And of course, he was talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. He was referring to the fact that he was soon going to die and to provide a way for the salvation of everybody through his death on the cross. And he was saying, Time is fulfilled. It was about to be established for all those who would accept him. So that's one, another title, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And another one's called the gospel of God's grace. Um, that's what Paul referred to in most of his writings. In Acts 20, 22, we see, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Remember, good news means gospel, the gospel of God's grace. Now, these are not different messages. These are not different gospels. They're one and the same thing. But actually, it's not important what we call them. It's the content. It's the content that is, needs to be correct and is important. And Paul emphasized this a number of times, that we must only preach an accurate gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3 says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. This gospel is talking about a specific message about the grace of God. And in Galatians, he puts it this way. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be condemned. As I have already said, and so now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be eternally condemned. He repeats it. It's very strong language. You see, the Galatian church at the time had been wonderfully saved. There was a move of God there. They'd be given their hearts to the Lord. They put their faith in Jesus. But they were turning back. They were turning back to the law, to the religious traditions. And Paul was very upset about this. They were getting legalistic again rather than living by faith and trusting in the grace of God alone. So back then, Paul was warning that the gospel was being corrupted. And, um, and still today, Unfortunately, we're seeing this. The full gospel, the true gospels, are not often preached. You'd be surprised what, how many, what Christians would define as the gospel and what some churches preach and what some preachers say. That's why it's 
I want to absolutely get it right today. <laughs> I put a lot of work into this, even though I know it inside out, really. You see, some preach Jesus, Jesus minus something. In other words, there are other ways to God. Or Jesus is not God. Or that he didn't die and rose again. Others preach Jesus plus something. They say, well, yes, Jesus did die, but there's certain things you also need to do to qualify. This becomes a works-based gospel. Or universalism. You'd be surprised how many believe that. That actually everybody will be saved at the end of the day, that there is no hell. Others preach an incomplete gospel. Some just think preaching about God's love is the, is the same as uh, preaching the gospel. Just come to Jesus and your life will be fine. Nothing about sin or repentance. So it's incomplete gospels. Now, while all of these messages can contain some truth, it's not the whole truth that we need to preach. So it's important to understand the gospel that the writers are talking about, that Jesus is referring to. Because it is only the gospel that has the power to save. That's the problem. If you preach a watered-down gospel, what you're doing is people think they know the truth and they don't. And you get all these false conversions or you get these you know, lukewarm people. We don't want that. It's all or nothing. And the gospel explains that. Romans 1.16 says, I am, this is Paul writing, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The power of the gospel. This is the defi- in grammar terms. This is what they call the definitive article. It's not any gospel, it's not a gospel, it's the gospel. Talking about something specific here, a specific message. So today, I want to move on. We'll put together a summary, as I say, what I believe the gospel contains. All the essential elements of the biblical gospel that both Jesus and the writers of the New Testament referred to. Now, do we need to explain this, all of this, every time we want to share with somebody? Absolutely not. It would be complete overload. All right? We need to be led by the Spirit. But it's good for us, it's good for us to know, I guess, the, the principles, the teachings, the truths behind the whole gospel message. Very gives us confidence, as I say. But uh, very rarely will you, you should be, if you need to, you can explain the whole thing, but you need a pretty bit of time and you don't want to lose people. You've got to be led by the Spirit and share those things that are relevant to them. And you, you understand that by the questions you ask. Remember from last week. Okay. And also, you might not think, oh, how am I going to remember all this? It's in you. That's where you just got to rely on Holy Spirit, as I say. But it's good for us to understand the truths and the elements that it um, entails. So let's get into it, and uh, let's have a look at point one. Point one is that God loves us, and he created us for a relationship with him. Okay, on Genesis 1.27, for God, so God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. He, cre- he created us, we're made in his image. We are unique, we are special, we are precious to him. And God created the whole world with its beauty for people to enjoy. But most importantly, he created people to have a loving relationship with him. Psalm 139, 13 to 14 says, this is the psalmist speaking, for you, for, a, you, for you created my innermost being, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Evolution is a lie from the pit of hell. See, if evolution is true, we are just insignificant. We're just a bunch of atoms that came together by chance. Yet if God created us, we are designed, we are loved, and have a purpose for living. 
That's what we believe. We're not accidents. Our lives are not without meaning or irrelevant. And I think most people know this deep down. We all have an inner sense that there's more to life. Even before I was a Christian, I was quite successful. Life was going okay. I wasn't in any crisis when I came to Christ. But I, if I was honest with myself, there was always something missing. There was a frustration. There was just something wasn't quite right. And when I came to Jesus, I was complete. There's a, there's a saying, there's like there's a God-sized hole in each and every one of our hearts. And it's only God that can fill that and bring the satisfaction, purpose, meaning, and relevance, significance to life. It's so true. And I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, will, will acknowledge that. So God made us. He knows us and he loves us. Look at this, 1 John 4.16. And so we know and rely on the, love of, on the love that God has for us, for God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God made us. God knows us. God loves us. Awesome. And he wants us to know him and to love him. But he doesn't force us. That's why he gave us a free will. This is an important, important part of the message. Adam and Eve, of course, the first people, used that free will to disobey God, and the relationship with him was broken. So that brings us to point two, that our sin, sin has separated us from God. It has broken the relationship for man and God. When God created the first man, Adam, he made him perfect, without sin, and he gave, and he gave him a free will like each of us he only gave him one rule and we haven't got time to go into the whole story from genesis read it for yourself but he said you know he he had to give him a choice so he had the choice that's where free will you've got to have a choice otherwise there's no free will so he said you can eat of every tree in the garden but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he gave him authority he could do anything he liked just one little rule and of course adam disobeyed god by eating of the of the tree and sin came in to him and mankind has actually inherited his sin nature ever since. Man lost his innocence, incurring the penalty of physical and spiritual death. Adam's mind was darkened by sin, as are the minds of all humans since. We call this the fall of man. This is called the fall of man. And Adam was like a, was a representative of the entire human race, and his actions have affected every one of us. God had given him authority over all the earth. But because of his disobedience, that authority was lost to Satan. And that opened the door for sin to come into the world. And sin is basically rebelling against God, living life our own ways. Sin is not meeting God's standard. Romans 5.12 puts this very, very succinctly. For just as through one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so sin spreads through all men. So because of the fall, sin became a reality. Death became a reality. And all creation was subject to it. All men die. Animals die. Plants die. Originally, God had not intended that. We were going to, everything was going to live forever. A perfect world that he created. All people have inherited a sin nature. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all, none of us are perfect. But of course, God is. Romans 3 10 to 12 says it is as it is written there is no one righteous not even one there is no one who understands there's no one who seeks God all have turned away and have together become worthless there's no one who does good not even one all of us do wrong things none of us are perfect we've all 
done things wrong, haven't we? Told a lie, stolen something. Of course we have. Me, me too. And you know, when we've done those things, the person that we've offended or hurt the most is God himself. Our sin is primarily against God. And sin's actually what's caused all the problems in the world. I hear people say to me, oh, if there was a loving God, why are the wars? Why is all this suffering? Why is it all happening? Well, it's not God's fault, as some might say. Sin is the root cause of all evil. But the most significant consequence of sin that has separated man from God. Isaiah 59 two says this, But your iniquities, another word for sin, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. And when they rebelled against him, that fellowship was broken. They became aware of sin. And they were ashamed. You remember the story. And they hid from him. And basically, man's been hiding from God ever since. But there are other significant consequences for our sin, which brings just to point three, that sin leads to death. You see, not only does it separate us from God and the loving relationship that he seeks with each and every one of us, but one day we'll be punished. So it actually puts us in very great danger. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So our human bodies, they'll eventually die one day, give out. But you see, the real us, which is our soul and our spirit, the Bible teaches that lives on forever. That lives on forever. And we will have to face God after we die and give an account of our lives. You see, one day all men and women will have to stand before God. He's the judge of all mankind. Hebrews 9.27 says, All people are destined to die once and after that face judgment. And like an earthly judge, can't turn a blind eye to crime, can he? Otherwise he wouldn't, wouldn't be just. If someone's done a, done a crime he's got to, and they're found guilty, he's got to punish them. That's just how way justice works, isn't it? It's the same with God. He can't ignore our sin. Justice demands that it's punished. And God being just must punish our sins. In other words, our crime against him. Romans 14, 10. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So when we die, we come before God, we give an account of our lives. And if our sins aren't forgiven, we're found guilty and we must pay the price. The problem is, since none of us have a way of paying that price, we must face the consequence. The Bible makes it clear that there's only two places to go when we die, for our soul and spirit to go. One is hell. It's a place of weeping, suffering, and eternal separation from God. The other is heaven, a place of eternal peace, love, and joy in the presence of God. Now, because we've all sinned against God, we are all guilty. We're all destined for hell. It's a place of punishment for rejecting him. And breaking his laws. You see, nothing unholy, nothing imperfect can get to heaven because God in heaven is a perfect and holy place. Hebrews 12 14 confirms this. It says, Without holiness, we can say perfection, no one will see the Lord. So we've got a problem. But the good news is, and this is the gospel, that there is a way out. Hallelujah. There is a way out. Good news. Someone has paid the price for our sin. For every sin that we've ever committed and every sin we will ever commit. Make our way for our sins to be forgiven. To escape hell and make it to heaven. Amen? Praise God. So point four. God loves us so much that he provided a solution. Jesus. He died. 
for our sins so that we don't have to. He's made a way for us to have our sins forgiven and make it possible for us to go to heaven. John 3.16, there's one scripture you sure know. That God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, go to hell, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We were condemned. We were headed for hell. But that's not what God wanted. See, God's not angry with us. He loves us. He hasn't changed. So he sent his son out of love into the world on a mission to rescue us all. And that's why really the gospel message is a message of love. The love of God. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. By the shedding of his blood on the, and his death on the cross at Calvary, Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin. The Bible says this in Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus came, born of the virgin, lived a sinless life here on earth that we could never live. And because he was without sin, because he was perfect, he became the perfect sacrifice and he qualified to be a substitute on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus was sinless, he paid the price due for our sin in our place. And we can trust in him to be our substitute and go free. We do not have to suffer the consequences of those things that we did wrong, our sin. We've been made righteous. Righteous is a religious term, I guess. It means simply we are now in right standing with God. We're as pure is Jesus. Every sin we've ever committed and will ever commit was placed on Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53 6 says this, we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He paid our debt so that we don't have to. He gave his life, he shed his blood so we could go free, that we could be pronounced not guilty and we stand before that judge. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Using the word here, redemption. Another important word, redemption. You don't want to use that when you're sharing with somebody, but it's, we need to understand. Redemption is the action of regaining possession of something or a payment for the clearing of debt. For instance, if you have a court fine, speeding ticket, you have no means of paying. If someone else pays it for you, does the court hold it against you any longer? No. You've been redeemed. Someone else has paid it for you on your behalf. That's what redemption means. He paid the debt we owed to God. And not only did Jesus die, but he rose again. Jesus overcame and destroyed sin and death by rising from the dead and made a way for us to have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 For Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter and the Twelve. The resurrection actually is the foundation of our Christian faith. And of course the resurrection of Jesus was, was a literal resurrection. Don't everyone tell you 
otherwise. It, it was physical death and a physical miracle resurrection. Literal of his body from the dead. And without the resurrection, our belief in God uh, is destroyed, actually. When Jesus rose from the dead, he actually confirmed his identity as the Son of God, just like he had told people. We also call this process the atonement. Once again, another term you don't want to use with people, but you've got to understand some of these terms. It's called atonement. It's the making act of making amends for a wrong, putting things right. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, and he isn't alive, there is no atonement, and our faith is futile. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 22 puts it like this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If it is only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And for since death came through one man, the resurrection of dead of the dead also comes through a man. For as Adam and as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love for us, God sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take the penalty for our sin, to reconcile us back to him, to raising him from the dead, making eternal life possible. We call this salvation. We've been saved from the power and the consequences of sin and death. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19 and 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled. The end of the estrangement between, um, caused by the original sin between God and humanity. The restoration of peace between God and, human- and mankind. Our relationship was restored. It's a bit like, um, a, bit like a, a book example. Some of you might have seen this. I think it's just a beautiful depiction of, of what Jesus has done. See, in the beginning, God was in heaven, and he created earth. And he, and he uh, I want me to use the Bible, but I thought it probably not a good example. Oh. <laughs> God in heaven, okay? He created man down here on earth, made beautiful, okay? But then what happened is that man sinned, and it became like a barrier there between God and man that broke the relationship. So what God is, because he loved us so much, he sent Jesus, who is God, down to be on earth. But he lived a sin, sinless life. And then what happens is God placed on him all of our sin. And then Jesus went down to hell, and he broke the power of sin and death, destroyed it once and for all, and he rose again to be in heaven. And now we're free. No sin, no barrier between us and God. Amen? Praise God. So everything that was lost in the fall by Adam and Eve was reclaimed at the cross of Calvary. Everything that Adam lost was won back. That's why Jesus is actually referred to in the Bible in places as the last Adam. Okay, which brings us on to point five. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus is the only way. 
need to emphasize this. You know, I, when I've been witnessing to some people, and I ask the question, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Majority, 90% of the answers I've ever had, and I'm talking hundreds, have said, oh, no, I'll go to heaven. And I say, well, why is that? Oh, because I'm a good person. That is the answer you will get. People think that they are a good person. And that's why they'll go to heaven. But the thing is, none of us are perfect, are they? We've all done things wrong. Our good works are not good enough. Jesus is the only way to get there. Acts 4.12 says that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we may be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. It's referring to Jesus. There is no other way. We must trust in Jesus alone. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. By grace means the unmerited favor of God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. This is the essence of the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift because God loves us so much. And you know what? That is the difference, the major difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions, you have to do something. If you do this, you're a good person. You do this, you make these sacrifices, you pay this money, whatever it is. You do all these different things. Well, then, you know, God will be with you and help you and you'll have eternal life or whatever. Christianity, it's all about done. It's not do, it's done. Jesus has done it all. There is nothing we can do to get to heaven to have our sins forgiven, to have our relationship restored with God on our own rights. It all hangs on what Jesus did. I sat next to a, uh, a Muslim guy on the, on the plane once, and this guy was in his sort of priestly gear, I guess. I didn't really understand it, but I could tell he was a man of significance. And, uh, and so I struck up a conversation with him. And uh, in the end, I plucked up the courage to say, look, you know, I'm, you're, you're obviously a Muslim. What's your, you know, what's your role? He said, oh, I'm actually, he was the imam, which was the head man here in Wellington over the, the, um, the uh, Muslim temple, what do you call them? Mosque. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, wow. So he, this guy was, he was going over there to, you know, for some pretty high level Muslim conference, you see. And so I thought, right, well, here I am just Peter. I hadn't been saved long. And uh, so I said to him, I said to him, oh, once again, ask questions. I didn't try and tell him what I believed, but I asked the question. I said, well, hey, you're, what do you believe? And, you know, do you, how do you guys know you, whether you're going to heaven or not? And you know what? That guy said to me, I still, still remember to this day, he says, oh, we don't know. We can't be sure. We just hope that the, the good things that we've done outweigh the bad. I thought, wow, that's other religions for you. And of course, once I'd asked him that question, then it was my turn to have a say. I said, well, this is what we believe. And of course, I could tell him about the grace of Jesus Christ, that um, there is no other name under heaven by which we would be, be saved. But we can be absolutely assured that in his name, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. So it's impossible for us to meet God's perfect standard in our own strength and ability. The only way we can have our sins forgiven and to make it to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, 
says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's pretty clear. There is no one else, and there is no other way. Praise God for Jesus. And it's a free gift. We've referred to that already. God has provided a solution for us. He's offered something to us, but like any gift, we need to receive it. We must accept it. He's given us a free will. We don't have to. He doesn't force us on us. We have to receive the gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of salvation is absolutely free. And the motive for the gift is just the goodness and the love of the giver, our Father in heaven. Praise his name. So we must receive it. So how do we receive this gift? Well, we need to respond. We want to be forgiven and be made brand new and have eternal life. We must respond. God doesn't force us. You see, ultimately, Jesus has dealt with all of the sin. There's only one thing that's going to ultimately judge us, and it's not accepting God's offer of forgiveness. Jesus has dealt with sin. But the ultimate sin that's going to send millions to hell is not receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we must respond. Three things we need to do. One, we need to acknowledge our sin and be prepared to turn away from everything we know to be wrong. We call this repentance. Turning away from the things that we know to be wrong. Acts 20:21. 20, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Acts 3.19 Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Luke 13.3 But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now does this mean we have to be perfect? No. It's impossible. We can never be. But it's a desire in our hearts and willing to turn away from the things that we know are wrong. So we need to repent, one. Two, we need to believe in this message that I've been telling you this morning. You actually need to believe that Jesus did pay the price for our sins by dying on the cross, that he was who he said he was, and believe that he rose from the dead and that he has purchased a place for us in heaven. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. John 20.30-31 Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, you don't need to understand everything, but in your heart, when these messages are shared, something witnesses. See, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is saved. Don't, not try, don't try and understand it. This is a spiritual matter. You get that witness in your heart. You have to take that step of faith. And want Jesus to come into your life. That's enough. It's by faith we're saved. Believe in your heart. You will be saved.
Which brings us on to point three. We must receive. We must receive him. Receive his forgiveness. Accept him as our personal Lord and Savior and prepare to follow him for the rest of our lives. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. And put him in charge of our lives. Desire to obey him. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. He said, make Jesus the Lord of our lives. It's like saying making him the boss, the boss of our lives. We need to obey him. We no longer live selfish lives, but we sacrifice ourselves to do God's will, which is always good for us anyway. He says, I know the plans I have for you, for good, not for evil, for a hope and for a future. He wants to bless us, but we've got to put our trust in him. We've got to be prepared to follow his ways. Colossians 2.6 says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. He's not just our saviour to get us out of the hole that we're in. It's a way of life now. We're following him for the rest of our lives. Totally committed to him. and Following him. Serving him. Living life God's way. According to his word. If we do those things, if we return away from the things we know are wrong, we repent, we acknowledge him, we believe in him, and we receive him as our Lord and Saviour. Then the result is we become new people. We will, Bible calls born again. We have a new identity. And God adopts us into his family. John 1.12 Yet all who did receive them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We were like orphans. Orphans wandering around in darkness, totally lost. But now God, Heavenly Father, has adopted us into his family. And he is, some of us have had good fathers, some of us have had not so good fathers. Doesn't matter what your father's like, he is the perfect father. And his love and his acceptance and his provision and his protection is there for you. He desires you. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth and be with him forever. He loves you so much. It's incredible. Lord, give us a revelation of your love even this morning, Lord. The Bible also says if we choose to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our old life, sins, everything, the garbage that went with it, dead, buried with Jesus. We receive new life in him. A new identity. As I said, the Bible calls us being born again. John 3, 3. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And we're not talking about physical, of course. We're talking about a spiritual. Our spirits were dead. And now they're alive in Christ. Holy Spirit's come into us. We've been born again spiritually. And he takes us out of the kingdom of sin. The kingdom of of the devil, of darkness, and he brings us into his glorious kingdom of life, love, and light. We sang the song before, John 8, 36. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free from accusation, free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from fear, free from worry, stress, free from the devil's influence. We have the power to live right. Colossians 1, 21, 22. Maybe the worship team can come up. That's why I'm closing. Colossians 1, 
21 to 22. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death, through death to present you holy. In other words, perfect in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Once we were separated, but now, through Christ's death, he's brought us to himself to present us to him. Holy, not guilty, totally pure in his sight, without blemish, free from any accusation. Oh, praise you, Jesus. And then he seals us with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. You know, in the old days, the king would have a seal. And his mark, his seal was on something. It was done usually in wax with an imprintation of his logo and so on, his emblem. And that was a guarantee. A document came with the king's seal on it. Nothing could be done to break it. And that's the, that's the language he's using here. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that we're now under new ownership. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, our last scripture. It says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's the seal. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In other words, until we go to be with him to the praise of his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. What a promise. That, folks, I believe is a, a brief but covers every aspect of the gospel message. I've got, uh, as I say, the scriptures there if anyone wants them. I uh, might not have them available for you this week, but next week if you wanted them, I'll make them available at the information center. Um, it'll take you through that. And I, uh, I hope that it's encouraged you and helped you today just understand why you believe what you believe and all the, the aspects to the gospel message. As I say, you don't need to explain all that, and you shouldn't. <laughs> it's too much. But it's good that you understand it and can draw on the parts of it that you need to when presenting with people. And always, always focus on the love and the grace of God. Yes, we need the law so people to realize they're a sinner, so they know what they're being saved from. It's an important part of the gospel. But the bigger part is the grace and the love of God for all people. And the value he places on them and the relationship that he wants with them. We must emphasize that. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.